God, your, your word tells us that your voice is like the sound of many waters. We, we thank you for the opportunity to be here at the beach, this different uh, experience of your creation than Columbus or Atlanta um, doesn't feel like middle Georgia here. We thank you for the opportunity to, to find you and hear you and experience you in, in different ways. And we ask that you would help this place be a retreat for us, that this wouldn't just be the name of this thing, it wouldn't just be called a retreat, but that we would find here rest and a different kind of space where we could encounter you um, in a new and exciting way. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, and that, that you would let us be willing to let you uh, do that sort of work in and around us. We thank you for everyone who's here this morning. We thank you that you're in this place, that you are exactly who you are. We thank you for the beauty of your church and the beauty of your word and the honor and privilege that we have in worshiping you. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've got bad news. I'm out of coffee. But still, I am blessed and highly caffeinated. Um, and really thankful again for the music this morning. Thanks, guys. So do we have Psalm 119? Okay, so there's a lot of it here. We're going to do 39 verses together. I know that's a lot of, that's almost 39 sentences. Um, but I think you can handle it. So here's, I want to keep this like uh, fresh. So what we're going to do, I'm going to read the lines that, are, uh, that aren't indented, the ones set off to the left, like, how can a young man keep their way, uh, young people, how can young people, ha, ah, that's you, how can young people keep their way pure? And you would answer with the indented line, how about that? Does that work? Does that make sense? All right, let's try it, and uh, I mean, it's, it's going to work if you do it, so just, just do it, it'll be great. How can young people keep their way pure? I according to your word. Hey, good job. You can read. You even saw the period. Most people can't figure out when they read together how punctuation works. With my whole heart, I seek you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I treasure your word in my heart. So that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Ooh, you even got statutes right. I didn't hear any statutes. With my lips, I declare... I delight in your way of your decrees. As much as the I will meditate on your precepts. And fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your words. Deal bountifully with your servant. So that I may live and observe your word. Open my eyes so that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I live as an alien in the land. My soul is consumed with longing. For your ordinances at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones. Who wander from your commandments. Take away from me their scorn and contempt. For I have kept your decrees. Even though princes sit plotting against me. Your servant will meditate on your Good job picking up that offset statutes. Your decrees 
are my delight. They are my counselors. Halfway there. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me. And graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your ordinances before me. I cling to your decrees, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I run the way of your commandments. For you enlarge my understanding. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And I will observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law. And observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Turn my heart to your decrees. Almost there. Turn my eyes from looking at vanities. Give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise. Which is for those who fear you. Turn away the disgrace that I dread. For your ordinances are good. See, I have longed for your precepts. And your righteousness give me life. One more. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have answers for those who taunt me. For I trust in your word. Do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. For my hope is in your ordinances. I will keep your law continually. Forever and ever. I shall walk at liberty. For I have sought your precepts. I will also speak your decrees before kings. And shall not be put to shame. I will find my delight in your commandments. Because I love them. I revere your commandments. I love them. And I will meditate on your statutes. Ha! You did it! It wasn't that bad. 39 verses. Uh, notice any patterns. Statutes, ordinances, precepts, decrees, commandments. Big, big words. There were lots of big words in there. Like ordinances and commandments. Others? Love. Love, word, law. Um, all that together. There's, it keeps going like this. This is the longest psalm uh, in the collection, in that uh, prayer book, that grouping of poetry in the middle of the Bible. Of Bible, of the Bible. Called the Psalms. Um, and if you were to read through that, and I encourage you, that's a great one to just take out to the beach and read Psalm 119. It'll give you, it's got that, like you can almost feel the beat in that psalm. Um, and it was written, that one is, lets us know, set to music. Um, if you kept going, you'd find some iconic verses. Uh, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. I went into King James there. And a light and to my path goes into this psalm. Uh, it's just full of these beautiful, big things. Uh, let me not be put to shame. This is, this is when people crochet on the pillows and tweet and put on their uh, Facebook headings. This is a popular psalm. So 39 verses, and y'all picked up ordinances and precepts and word and commandments and law and love. How many times in the 39 verses would you guess... Um, that the, some statement about scripture is made? A lot. 30. I heard 15, I heard a lot. No, what 30. was 30? 
Other guesses? 39 verses. I heard it in a couple places. 39 times. You win. You are officially Jesus' favorite. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It's all about you. So, yeah, give it up. So, 39 verses, but this is the longest psalm. If you keep reading it, it goes on like this. The first 39, ooh, nice big 39. First 39, are, they absolutely hold to that. Once it keeps going, it breaks up a little more, but this psalm is still about the importance of this gift of the word, of the law, of the commands, of the precepts, of the statutes, of the, did I miss one? What were other things? Of the decrees, um, of the big words from God, that these are essential to the life of the person writing this poem. And, and so the, the first question asked by that, how can a young person keep their way pure? How can we know how to live? How can we live a, a productive, fruitful kingdom life? This is like Paul anticipating the answer last night. How can you do all this stuff? Pray continuously. How on earth can I know how to live a, a God-honoring kingdom-engaged life that matters, the psalmist anticipates the question and immediately answers by keeping the ways of God, by internalizing God's message. If you want this whole faith thing, if you want to be a part of this kingdom of God, that's the way Jesus talks about the, uh, the Christian life and the world as God envisions it. He uses this phrase, the kingdom of God. Um, if you want to start stepping into that kind of way of being alive, uh, in John 10, Jesus calls it life to the fullest. It's more real than any other way of being human. This is the way we were created to be. If you want that kind of life, if you want a life that is pure, if you want a life that honors God, if you want to be one of these people who are conspiring with God for the reconciliation of all things, you have to internalize, 39 times, you have to internalize the Bible. You have to know your Bible. I know that sounds Sunday school. That sounds boring and predictable, uh, but maybe this old Sunday school teachers got it right on this one. This is an essential part of what it means to be a part of this family of faith in Jesus's day. So we're, we're, we're taking a step here. Here comes a turn in a first century Palestine in the uh, world in which Jesus was born and lived, the uh, education system for the Jewish communities was built all around uh, their scriptures. And so about at the age of six, six to eight, depending on your local uh, school and the rabbi that led it, you'd get to start going to school. And what you would do is memorize the first five books of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So let's see how, how much that is. There's Joshua, so we're close. Okay. So about eight, you start memorizing the Torah, the law, the first big chunk of Scripture. And so by the time you're ten, you've got this memorized. I know, right? This is how education goes um, in Jesus' day. On the first day... Of, uh, I should have brought some honey. On the first day of school, you would get brought uh, a tablet. Here you go. Take this invisible tablet. Take it. Do you have it? Okay, good. And it's got the first sections of scripture that you're going to start studying. And the rabbi would take, oh, it would be great if I had. Did you give her your tablet? Oh, I didn't mean to. 
You took it? It's disgraceful. Give it back. Come on. And take honey, which is like the sweetest, most delectable uh, delicacy in the ancient Near East and that part of the world. If you want something sweet, if you want something good, uh, it was honey and wine. You see that language all throughout the Bible. When God talks about good things, God goes to honey and wine. And he'd take honey, which is expensive, and would pour it all over the tablet of, so like, the, the piece that you're writing on, the piece that you're reading on, of a six to eight year old is now covered in honey. How do you think this goes? It, uh, it is a, yeah, it's a messy exercise, and they're told to lick it. They're told to eat it. Um, and you're like, ha ha, it's Christmas! And they do. Um, from the very start, these kids are trained to think of Scripture as the most wonderful, delicious, decadent, good gift that they can imagine. Isn't that cool? Hmm? Yeah, well, why would they do that? Does anyone have a, a Bible thing in the back of their head that's like calling out to them? Yeah, does that hand? Yeah, go for it, go for it. Yeah. There's uh, visions that the multiple prophets have where they are given in this vision the book of the law, or they're given the scripture, and they're told to eat it. Eat it. Eat it. Can I eat it? <laughs> they're literally told to eat it. They have to internalize it, they have to digest it. It becomes a part of them. That's how food works. Um, and that imagery is applied to the scripture. In other places, I think you'd get some in Psalm, there's not a slide yet. In uh, other places, in that Psalm 119, where the scripture is talked about as good to eat, that it's sweet, that it's nourishing. Um, and so, you have your first day of school, you get covered in honey, um, you lick the Bible, it's good. <laughs> but so, if you are a good student, if you continue in this, uh, so you've got about that much memorized so far. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, if you keep going, so like elementary, late elementary school, we're going to add uh, some of the books of the history. And so we start adding Kings and Chronicles and Judges and Samuel. So let's see, where's that end? About here. So middle school age. Who in here? Do we have a sixth grader? Do I have a sixth grader? By the time you'd be in sixth grade, you've memorized about like that of the Bible, like memorized, like you, Isaiah 37, 2, nailed it. Um, like that level of memorization, they didn't have the numbers yet. We came up with that much later. But they have this huge chunk memorized. Now, if you're good at this, if you're like serious into this Bible stuff, at this age, People start splitting up. And so if, if you're like, if you can't pull that Isaiah verse out of your butt when it's asked, you're like, you know what? You obviously love God and you love the Bible, but maybe you should go study the family trade. Um, and I know, right? People start getting kicked out of school for not being able to keep up. I love Yeah. <laughs> and, well, you're sent to work. You go learn how to be. Oh, very cool. So you would let go and learn how to be, say, a fisherman or a carpenter or to sew, or your uh, parents would teach you what they do. You would carry on the family business. And there's not shame in that. It's just a different path. But if you're good, you keep going, and you learn the Psalms 
and you learn the prophets, and you learn the wisdom literature. You don't get to read Ezekiel until you're 30, uh, but everything else, you start memorizing. I know, don't you want to go read that book now? There's a rule in Jesus' day, and still in a lot of Jewish traditions, you can't read that book until you're either 30 or 33, based on the tradition that you're in. Because it's so weird! What? Ezekiel. Oh, yeah. what you mean. Check that stuff out. And so, by the time you're a high schooler, you have pretty much everything that we have in our Hebrew Old Testament, in our Hebrew Bible. Malachi, there's, there we go. From Genesis to the Italian prophet Malachi. Memorized. You haven't read Malachi? you got to read Malachi. Malachi's good. So by the time you are high school age, you've memorized that much of the Bible. If you think about like how many song lyrics you have memorized... Probably about that much, right? Uh, but you've studied and memorized and been taught to love the entirety of the canon. And you're so good at it that the uh, rabbis don't even talk about the things they're talking about. They talk around it to like we hint and we nudge and we make jokes to let you know where we are in the text. And so at this point in your education, you can do two things. You can know the Bible really well and go study the family trade. You can go become a fisherman or a carpenter, or a seamstress, or a farmer. Uh, these things are open to you. You can find a craft, or study the family trade, or you can attempt to go find a rabbi to study under. So these rabbis, people like Jesus, um, are charismatic, wild figures. Um, and so you'd go and you'd find one that you want to study under. You'd hear about the way that they teach the scripture, and you're like, ooh. I like that. I want to understand this person. I want to be like them. It's like a mentorship thing. And you would go and you'd find the rabbi and you'd say, hey, rabbi, I want to be like you. I want to do the stuff you do. I want to study under you and understand the Bible the way you do. And this person would say, well, it's clear that you love the Bible. It's clear that you love God. Um, and they'd start testing the person who's coming after them. They'd ask them uh, really, really obscure questions about the text, and they'd try to trick them about the Bible, and they'd ask them riddles. There's one that we have recorded that goes something like this. Um, two men go down a chimney. One has soot all over their face, and the other is completely clean. Who wipes their face? Who wipes their face? I saw you take a drink, and that's why I came after you. The man with the soot or the man without the soot? That's ridiculous! The man with the soot looks at the man without the soot and thinks that he also has no soot on his face. But the man with the outsoot on his face looks at the man with the soot on his face and thinks I must have soot on their face, and so they wipe their face. Come on, get out of here. Uh, yeah, but, okay, well, let's try again. Okay, two men go down to me. One has soot on their face, one doesn't. Uh, who wipes their face? That's ridiculous. If you don't have soot on your face, why would you wipe your face? You, the man with the soot on their face would wipe their face. Come on, it's ridiculous. Okay, Florida. Two men go down a chimney. One has soot on their face, one doesn't. Who wipes their face? Neither. Why would... He's got soot on his face! Why would... <laughs> the rabbis would play these games with these people that wanted to follow them, uh, and it's those who keep coming back and asking to try again that get to be a part of the disciple group of these uh, great religious teachers. But they, they have internalized the text. Um, and they have to be people who think with the text, who love 
the text in order to join these people that are these faith leaders. But all of this education, that's, that's a quick and oversimplified view of what it looks like to study the Bible in Jesus' day. But it starts with Psalm 119. The first thing you learn as a child in your home, before you go to school, the thing your parents teach you is Psalm 119. There might be a slide. I don't really know what they are anymore. Um, ha! Yes, that's perfect! That's the Hebrew alphabet. You're used to that, right? You see it all the time. This is what Hebrew looks like, one of the three languages the Bible is written in. Pop quiz. What languages are the Bible written in? English. Hebrew. English and Sanskrit. Latin. No Latin. No Arabic. Greek. And there's one book that's partially in Aramaic. What book is that? I don't know. Drummer. Take a guess. What book? Drummer. Might be partially in Aramaic, drummer. Dan Come on, he, he picked it up. Daniel is partially uh, in Aramaic. Uh, oh! So there's some Bible trivia for you later. Bible trivia for you. But so this, this is the Hebrew alphabet. The Aleph Beta of the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 119 is an acrostic. Uh, some translations let you know this, some don't. I snagged one of the uh, student Bibles from the back table. This one tries really hard to let you know what's going on. Each section of this psalm starts, every line starts with one of these letters, and so it goes straight down the alphabet. So it's the first eight verses all start with alpha. That's Greek. Start with aleph. The second eight all start with bet. The third eight all start with gimel. And then Dalit, and then Hey, and then Va, and then Zion, and Hetzat Yokafla, all the way to the last letter, uh, Tav. And so this is how the Jews, the children of Jesus' day, were taught the alphabet. The very basis of their language came right out of the scriptures. The first thing they learned, their alphabet song was Psalm 119. Read the text, love the text, follow God, learn the law, learn the commandments. This is how they started uh, their education. This is how they learned to think. This is how they learned to read. This is how they learned to speak, was through the study of Psalm 119. It is essential to their education. It's, the, it's like the alphabet song to us. And it's not only their literary foundation, but it's their spiritual foundation. The, the psalm contains what the word of God is, what it does, what it does in us and to us, what it looks like to follow the words, what it looks like to live in the light of this scripture, the benefits of knowing the scripture, the fruit and the truth of the words, and more. It's, it's kind of important, y'all. So if we want to be people who have this kind of vocabulary, who know what the Bible says to us and about us, who want to know what God is speaking to us. This is the primary way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, is through this book. This has to become our alphabet. The scriptures have to be as essential to our thinking and speaking and living and writing and communicating and interacting as 
language is to us. This must be our vocabulary. This must be our alphabet. It's the foundation for everything. If you want to know God, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to hear the Holy Spirit, if you want to change your life, if you want to change you, this is where you got to go. If you want to be more alive than you ever thought possible, if you want to change the world, this has to be our alphabet. This has to be our alphabet. These are the words that we have to have in us, that have to be running through our minds, that have to be the language of our heart. Because when we read this, when you study it, when it gets into you, when you eat, when you eat this book and you digest these words, it becomes the nourishment that sustains us mentally and spiritually. Because when the words get in, when Jesus gets in, they get out too. This becomes the way we think and talk and live. So get to work. Let me pray and let the band.